यू आर लिसनिंग टू अमिंट प्रोडक्शन प्रॉट यू बाय एच टी स्मार्ट कास्ट coming on that because i know that you track the free trade agreement space as well and increasingly there is talk of looking at this a different way you know a more aggressive regional cooperation while also trying to do good for for your own citizens or your own manufacturing do you think that might be the best way to um speak up to belligerent countries not just china by entering more free trade agreements by getting into these kind regional or as uh, you know ajit was mentioning a quad kind of uh, you know uh, collateral uh, understanding yeah i think uh, ajit was mentioning what is changing uh, clearly uh, what uh, is an optimistic uh, what we will be looking for is that uh, the in the last 6 years if you see uh, the elasticity of global trade global growth that elasticity was falling very rapidly so one plausible argument could be that multilateral institutions like wto their powers were on decline and uh, that was leading to uh, this sort of uh, protectionism across the world where uh, global trade was uh, declining save visa uh, global growth now would that be changing under the biden administration where maybe these multilateral agencies will have more role to play uh, the dispute settlement mechanism mechanisms will be gotten better so if wto gets revived then uh, the chances of a global trade uh, returning back will be uh, probably strong in fact just as an aside i think once we are coming out of this covid post covid recovery uh, we are finding a surprising pickup in global trade Uh, which no one was anticipating uh, in fact uh, a large part of the global growth surprise is being contributed by the global trade surprise so if this trend continues into uh, the next few years uh, then chances of these regional cooperations will also steep because unless the global growth tendencies change i don't think at a regional level you will get much traction in getting into uh, different sorts of uh, trade agreement uh, mm-hmm. once these things start then maybe the india eu trade pact the india uk trade pact the india us trade pact these are all very large trade negotiations which have been somewhat halfway done and uh, that we just get get out of rcep might not be the end of the road for india there are uh, still very many opportunities uh, left to be exploited glass half full for samir and uh, nice to hear that let me shift to a couple of questions that are coming in as well and santosh maybe you would like to take this one it's a question from aditi she says the government has said that the pli scheme will be extended to laptops and tabs is it a good idea to extend this scheme to other sectors as well and before you answer i just want to present a little bit of data which is this um, you know the the isi in the electronics industry as well santosh was started what about 6 years ago here's the numbers i have which is that imports of electronic goods shot up from 32.4 billion dollars to 55.6 billion dollars right up to 2019 while exports have actually inched up 
at a very, very slow pace from $7.6 billion to $8.9 billion. Um, we haven't been able to build, you know, um, a technology company or a mobile company of really large global scale. Can we do that with um, a separate industry like laptops and tabs? Uh, thank you, Mithali. Yes, I think this is a good question because India's experience with such incentives hasn't been really good. We had something called the MSIP scheme for electronics and the, off, you know, the uptake wasn't really what uh, up to mark. So, and this is a very expensive way to promote manufacturing by giving capital subsidies and tax incentives and so on. The real challenge is we need to uh, focus on the bottlenecks which again, we go back to, you know, uh, skilled labor and land and so on. So I think, yes, of course, we can extend it to as many sectors. There are already 10 sectors in play, which are you know, going to get incentives. There might be a little more coming in the forthcoming budget. But the real question we need to do is, you know, is it competitive? Is it globally competitive for us to, for anyone to come, whether it's a domestic company or a global uh, investor to come into India, pick any of the sectors we consider important for our economy, and manufacture in India in a competitive way. That's really the key question, because if we can't give a convincing answer there, uh, then uh, we are just going to sacrifice our economic growth, uh, which is, I think, uh, very important uh, uh, for the sake of uh, political and geopolitical considerations, which uh, have their own place. Uh, but in my sense, you know, the priorities need to be clear because in the long term, uh, economic strength is actually the only way you can build up your geopolitical strength. Mm. Shayan, is there a lot of uh, deep digging that we need to do in terms of, you know, what's happening with our industry per se? I mean, if we, basically the question I'm asking is, do we need to move from flyweight to weight boxing area. I mean, if you look at what's happening with the manufacturing workforce for exports, for example, uh, almost 60% of that is actually employed in firms with very, very few workers, five to 10 workers. How do you take on, uh, you know, very large export ambitions when you're still working in such a small playing ground? Absolutely. In fact, this has been one of the main problems that we have faced, that the size of our uh, enterprises, I mean, the so-called missing middle, uh, it has been talked about that we the, our sizes are very small. I mean, even the largest firms in India are small compared to you know global scales. And uh, the the other issue is that a large part of our manufacturing is also still in the informal sector, and uh, um, it is completely um, uh, not only unregulated. Access to credit is a problem. Uh, reaching export markets is a problem. Uh, everything is a problem. And as we say, uh, saw at, you know, in post lockdown, these were the firms that were most affected, but they employ a lot of people. And we have to think about how we need to, I mean, there has been some um, credit guarantee that has been promised as part of Atmanirbhar Abhiyan. Uh, but has it actually uh, reached the intended beneficiaries? What has been the uptake of that? And actually, do we see the uh, industrial sector activity coming back post-COVID? Uh, there will be definitely some losers in the process, but um, we have to assess who these are and uh, sort of help such firms uh, and rebuild the industrial sector. So at, right now it is in shambles. Uh, it's only, in fact, if you've seen uh, the estimates that have come as far as labor is concerned, most of the large firms have retained their labor, 
but not that has not been the case um, with small firms, which means that post COVID, some of may, many of them may have shut shop, and may, may many of them may not come back to uh, production again. So um, it's it's a grim picture, I think. Mm. Samiran, you you want to come in on that, and I also want to ask you that question, sort of layering it with you know what your sense is on what's happening interstate, because that observation has been made. I mean, Santosh was making the point about how you know states are bidding basically for 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 the same item, but also that there is a huge divergence in terms of policy within from from one state to the other, incentives from one state to the other. Is that damaging India as a whole? So first of all, the labor market issue, I think it's a uh, standard structural problem in India that we are seeing what I call a reverse Louisiana model, where rather than people migrating from rural to urban jobs, uh, in last five years, we have seen people migrating from urban to rural area. Rural jobs have gone up by almost 40%, while urban jobs have remained practically okay. flat. Uh, and uh, that situation uh, is going to stay uh, like this uh, even when we get out of this COVID situation. Uh, the area where I'm slightly more optimistic is that I think the labor market dislocation post-COVID has been uh, not as bad as I feared, uh, uh, particularly as uh, Sean was mentioning that uh, for the organized sector, we find that for about 4,000 farms, their wage cost actually has gone up by almost 3%. Uh, you would have expected this wage cost to come down uh, given the kind of shock that we have witnessed. So if we get back to about 10% wage growth, which is the normal over time, uh, then uh, maybe the situation, the permanent scarring of the economy uh, will not be as bad as one was anticipating. My only fear is that whether COVID is going to lead to more automation and uh, digital things in the normal manufacturing and service processes as well, uh, which would mean uh, more pressure on the uh, labor market. But coming to your other part of the question about uh, the states and the divergence across states, uh, one point which we should have discussed uh, before is uh, the whole uh, issue on whether India is ready for uh, engaging in trade agreements with uh, the rest of the world, uh, ready to go in for exports. What, why I'm mean bringing this point is that uh, there is a good literature which suggests that our productivity levels have not yet reached a point where we can uh, get into this kind of agreement, uh, particularly because it will always be the case that our domestic market size will be much larger than the domestic market size of our uh, countries with which we will be uh, doing these agreements. Even if it's a regional agreement, still uh, that will be the case. So it essentially boils down to the state that if they're able to make their state competitive enough, if the infrastructure is uh, ready in that state, then maybe those states will be able to get into what uh, was referring to as the special economic zones. So the special economic zones can flourish in those states where the infrastructure side is more ready and you could have those export hubs located there. That way, the problem that we are currently facing of India-wide productivity being much lower than where it should be, that problem to some extent can be addressed. Uh, but at the same time, I can understand your concern also that if all the states are offering uh, multiple sort of incentives, 
then sometimes for uh, foreign investors to uh, set up uh, its facilities in India, uh, it could be a very complicated process to decide on uh, where uh, that person needs to go. Hmm. Dr. Anade, I'd be interesting to, interested to hear your thoughts on this. Samiran is challenging the truism that foreign demand will always be bigger than domestic demand. We should resist the allure of the domestic market. Uh, do you agree with his point of view? We should kind of sort of build our house within or do you think there will never be a good moment and we have to strike out to find out whether we can or can't float? No, I think you were saying the other way. In fact, I, I disagree if we uh, don't want to do trade agreements because uh, our own domestic market is big enough. See, ultimately what matters is not the numbers, but affordability. You know, right. our per capita income is $2,000. And we uh, we want to make uh, goods and services uh, where uh, the I believe the total uh, demand will still not be adequate to meet. The, if you want to aggressively take our manufacturing share of GDP from currently 17% to 25%, which is a stated ambition, then uh, to, to absorb that capacity, domestic demand is not going to be enough unless our per capita incomes go up to five or $8,000, which means that the residual demand has to come from abroad, the foreign consumer, the foreign customer. It could be in Southern Europe, it could be Spain, it could be Portugal, it could be Turkey, it could be the US. So to that extent, we need to tap into those markets and, and exports and manufacturing, as you said, are intertwined, as I said. And that will lead to higher income. So we will. There will be a time in our growth when our per capita incomes will be large enough to absorb most of the manufacturing domestically. But we are not there yet. So that should be the strongest reason why we have to uh, engage very closely with the rest of the world. And by the way, our share of global exports, as you said in the I think opening remarks, was is quite small. So whether global trade is expanding or not, to go from two percent share to three percent for us is a fifty percent growth. Big jump. And it doesn't move the needle for the global market. So let's be aware of that. And also, one more point, uh, Mithali, that we need to also learn from our own successes. We did have, you know, you mentioned mobile phones. We did have a, the world's largest mobile phone factory in India. 35,000 workers, most of them women. World-class quality. Special economic zone. The company was called Nokia. And it produced 500... <laughs> Produced 500 million handsets in about five, six years. Yeah. It's not, it's like not it. like the iPhone factory, which is just producing maybe 100,000. I mean, no disrespect to them. We are talking yeah. about 500 million handsets produced in about six, seven years. The yeah. Nokia's biggest factory was in India. We, we forget that fact just 10 years ago. Why can't we learn from our own successes and also what made it, what, what, what did we do to force it to close down? I like so the way you phrased Dr. Ranade. It sounded like, you know, uh, economic fairy tale. There once was a company called Nokia. But please, uh, Samiran, you wanted to make a point. But I was just, uh, just saying that I, I think I, I could not express myself clearly. Uh, my, my comment yes, sorry, domestic demand was uh, more domestic demand was more from a, a trade agreement perspective, uh, not so much from uh, whether we uh, need to promote imports from a uh, into 25% of GDP manufacturing perspective. And the difference being that uh, in a trade agreement context, uh, for the person with whom you are doing uh, that trade agreement, uh, for him, India's domestic demand is a massive attraction uh, because uh, nowhere uh, that the country is going to get the kind of growth that India is likely to witness. And I get it that for India per se, to move from 
uh, $3 trillion to $5 trillion to $10 trillion, uh, domestic demand is not good enough. But from trade mm -hmm. agreement perspective, it's always an uh, imbalance that we have to deal with that uh, the other guy is always going to be on a slightly more advantageous position in bilateral trade agreements. Mm -hmm. Um, I do want to do a swivel round with, you know, all of you and sort of get a sense of what you'd like to hear for the budget. But Shayun, you know, I, I just want to draw you in on a more sort of human and individual element of this conversation, which is why do we always uh, assume that more imports is bad for India or bad for Indians? You know, opening up the market, giving Indians and individual households access to more goods, perhaps better quality goods at cheaper prices has not been a bad thing, has it? Why, why do we regard greater imports with so much suspicion because uh, truth be told it might have actually filtered down into better lifestyles for several uh, you know individual households or access to something that is cheaper for them no absolutely so uh, the thing is that i think that is uh, the reason of you know it's a mercantilist thinking that imports are bad and uh, many countries uh, have suddenly become very protectionist post covid but uh, uh, I think the main reason is that our focus on exports, we somehow miss that imports are actually almost like a twin mirror of our uh, exports. And uh, especially in a you know globalized world uh, with global value chains, uh, Im uh, imports of certain kinds, intermediate imports, also imports of raw materials, these are things that should not be, uh, uh, we should not less import less. In fact, you know, um, as far as India is concerned, these are the two items which we import more, raw materials and intermediates. Yeah. And uh, uh, I mean, it has an impact on our CAD, true, but we have to actually dissect our imports by these, uh, you know, categories and then understand that it is uh, those imports are necessary. In fact, our capital goods or consumer goods imports are very small. Intermediate goods imports is about 70%, 80%. Uh, the rest is uh, a, a large part is raw materials. Capital goods, consumer goods is only 5 to 7% of our imports. So uh, mm -hmm. um, the, where is the concern? It, uh, I mean, at least from the exporting profit, I don't see where is the concern. And as far as your point is concerned about the, you know, providing consumers with better, uh, uh, better quality goods. In fact, interestingly, in the limited trade deal that we were about to negotiate with the USA, dairy was expected to be opened up, though we had problem with dairy with, in RCEP with Australia. And it would have meant that had we gone into RCEP, we would have got, um, at least for, for the dairy products, we would have got the Australian cheese, the etc. I mean, things that our consumers could have enjoyed. And so from that point of view, I think um, uh, the point is very valid. I think we have some consensus around RCEP within this uh, small group of us. But just winding down to the tail end of our conversation, let me go to each of you turn by turn. You know, here we are. This is the reality of it. We do have these considerations around an Atmanirbhar Bharat, but we do understand that exports have to be a primary tool for growth. Let me ask you what you would like to hear from the finance minister just with regards to the export-import issue in her speech. Um, Dr. Ranade, let me start with you and then I'll go around to the rest. 
Well, uh, surely the uh, you have to match uh, the ambition with action. So, if we want manufacturing to be going up from 17 to 25 percent of GDP in the next five or seven, eight years, then that cannot happen unless our exports also do well. This is a truism, Charlie. Yeah, we have to accept that, and it we need to do whatever it takes to increase exports, uh, and uh, that should be like almost a high priority mission. So, for example, the finance minister, uh, she should, uh, de you know, earmark considerable amount of resources towards uh, this thing. Now, it could be in the form of this ROTDP, I think it's called, is replacing MEI, the Manufacturing Export Incentive Scheme. I don't know how successful it was, but apparently it's consuming 50,000 crores today. So it's not a small amount. And that's going to go away. That's going to be discontinuing. So whatever is coming in its place, uh, more smartly designed, uh, that certainly, uh, I think, would be essential. Uh, I think we need to also find ways to uh, in, encourage uh, value chain locations into India. And if that means also, there's, uh, you know, one of the things that you was discussed at length was the fact that we have all these small firms and they don't grow because possibly because of the labor uh, law, you know, uh, firm size beyond 10 suddenly drops off. And that's where we yeah. suffer because we can't have scale. So I think that's something that the budget could look at. Uh, I mean, I mean, uh, this is not the time to make a wish list, but just one point about that exports are very important. For five years, we neglected them, and therefore, uh, a considerable amount of uh, resources towards that. And not to forget the currency policy. I think the exchange rate is also important in this story. Absolutely. Uh, Santosh, I don't reckon the finance minister will stand up and say, well, hey, we've got these tariffs going only for China because that would create uh, significant trouble with the WTO. But, you know, what would you want to hear in terms of um, what she says and what she puts in place? As you said, talk has to meet action. Uh, Mithali, I think this budget should do uh, two things. One is it should introduce a lot of nuance into all these stated objectives. What is Atmar Nirbhar? How, how do we attract FDI? How do we promote exports? So we need a lot of nuance around it. Uh, and if you are afraid of uh, imports, we can impose standards. Uh, one thing you know nobody realizes is in the beginning, Dr. Ranade said we are dependent on China for 80%, 90% of some categories. Now, the real fact is we are dependent on that because we have no standards. So whatever is manufactured of low quality, like toys and so on, comes into India, you know, with an open gate. So we need to start erecting standards rather than tariffs and improve the quality of the imports. And simultaneously, this will encourage domestic manufacturing, whether by Indian companies or foreign companies. So I would like to see a lot of nuance around all these ideas and a little bit, I think, to some extent, some damage control is required because today a foreign investor is getting very, very confusing signals. Uh, and there are many ways we can do it. You know, just yesterday's incident yeah. at uh, Winston's factory in Bangalore, where you know laborers attacked and you know stole iPhones and ran away. So we need to really get our house in order. Uh, we need to have a clear signaling which is consistent, which is backed with political will. We can't have a hedging approach where we project an image to the global world about you know uh, ease of doing business, welcome to India, make in India. And uh, when we have a domestic audience, we start talking about self-reliance. We don't want to import because this is just confusing and it's mm. not going to serve anyone's purpose. Mm. So, so standardization, currency policy, manufacturing front foot forward, export policy. Samiran, um, do you want to add to that? Do you want to embellish that? What would you like to hear? Uh, so first, I think uh, 
let's uh, admit it that once you have uh, embarked on this self-reliant India campaign uh, just eight, 10 months back, uh, I do think uh, we can completely change the course or the philosophy behind it so quickly. So at least for this year's budget, uh, my sense is that uh, most of the announcements will be uh, in line with what we have heard uh, in the recent past. And in that context, I think if you look at the overall government spending and break it up into how much goes to different industry-related ministries, and if you take out defense out of it, only five to six percent of total expenditure goes to all the ministries which are involved in any industry. That's, uh, in my view, a very small number which needs to go up. And that's where uh, the, the allocation towards these production-linked incentive schemes, etc., will be very important. And let's also face it that we have, at a very top-down level, announced these schemes, but their effective implementation will very much depend on uh, the granularity of the schemes that are going to be announced uh, over the next few months. Uh, so we have to finish this process uh, well. Uh, the second aspect is uh, with respect to the tariffs and all. Uh, my my suspicion is that we are not going to see any uh, rollback in tariffs. Uh, the um, only thing uh, people who are pro-trade can hope for is that there is no further increase in tariffs in a big way. Uh, but uh, beyond that, I don't think uh, anything is going to happen on that front. Uh, but I guess the bigger point, and I always go back to it, is that if uh, India's industrial sector has to grow, uh, then the infrastructure support uh, needs to be much, much better. And that's where mm -hmm. if the government shows a substantial increase in infrastructure spending, and not just the traditional roads and railways, but maybe a much more wider variety of uh, infrastructure spending. Uh, that itself will be a big positive uh, because, in a sense, infrastructure spending not only supports growth, it's growth in itself. The kind of jobs and linkages that it creates that can feed into this whole industrial recovery uh, that we are thinking mm -hmm. of. And uh, one last point I want to make is that. For a very long time, we have got the right conditions for private assets to go. We have got corporate profitability to go up. We've got very low interest rates. We've got very low tax rates. And we have seen that financial leverage of companies are coming down. So it's probably the best time to give the push to industrial development and get this private capex virtuous cycle to start forming. Uh, so in that sense, this budget is going to be very, very crucial. I sincerely hope India Inc. is listening. Samiran, you're absolutely right. It's it's never been an opportune time, but you know, if not now, then when? But that's a good dose of realism. Uh, Shayon, no rollback in tariffs, believe Samiran, but perhaps a status quo on any fresh tariffs. What's your own sense or, or what would you like to see rather in, in this budget? Um, so, um, you saw in the, you know, the foreign trade policy has also to be um, unveiled. I mean, we had it till 20, uh, 2015 to 20, and we are uh, expected to see some of that at least there, uh, which would be actually uh, setting out the for the five years, what would be our, uh, you know, export targets, etc. Now, the main problem that we've had is that our approach towards uh, exporting and manufacturing has been very piecemeal. 
And we actually need to link all three together, our trade policy, our industrial policy, as well as our technology policy. And we have not done that. Plus, it has been erratic, as um, uh, Santos was also pointing out. So what we need is a approach that is consistent and uh, holistic. Um, you know, some tariff rollback or no, no, to, and that's a very temporary kind of thing. And um, but the PLI, for example, um, it is expected to be a, a small, uh, you know, a short term measure, because any measure of this kind, if it is continued for the long term, would actually again give rise to inefficiencies. And it's not the best way to promote manufacturing. Absolutely. Excellent points and such an engaging conversation. Thank you very much, all of you, for your time. We wait and watch a month and a little bit to go before the union budget, but we're just trying to set the stage in terms of what the important pillars will be. We hope you enjoyed watching this. We'll be back again next Monday with another important point of focus. To all my guests, thank you very much today for joining in. Goodbye. Thank you. Thank you. This was a Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast.